All right, all right. Once again, I want to welcome everybody here and all those listening on our podcast channel. Uh, this evening is a special evening because we're going to be celebrating our blessings. Obviously, tomorrow it's a great holiday, and uh, we're also going to be talking about giving thanks to God, right, for all that He's done for us. Now, what's unique, though, about the idea of giving thanks, right, that, that feeling thankful, is that it's really, it's affected so much by how you personally feel blessed, how you personally feel thankful, right? For some people, feeling blessed, feeling thankful means you have a big bank account. You have a nice home that's paid off. You have nice cars, right? Maybe a total absence of sickness or hardship for you and your family members, right? No bumps in the road in life, right? And for some people, that allows them to feel thankful, to feel blessed. But Having worked in the hospital and the ER, I can tell you once something bad hits, something costly, hardship happens to them and their family, sometimes all that's out the window, right? You can be, woe is me, yesterday everything was great and awesome and perfect, and now today the world's falling apart, right? That happens. That type of mindset is not the type of thankfulness that we're going to talk about tonight. That type is, let's be honest, it's conditional, right? Where we individually on our own set up our own guidelines, what we think we need to have to be happy and thankful and blessed and fulfilled. And those ideas are arbitrary sometimes. They vary between each of us. We're going to have our own different ideas. And they can also be situational, right? So what we're going to talk about tonight is true thankfulness, right? Thankfulness that's not based on situations, human ideas. This type of thankfulness doesn't change over time. It's actually immune to the normal stuff that happens in life, right? And the type of thankfulness that we're going to talk about is based on, this is the important part, our understanding of our true condition as humans on this earth, right? We are sinful. The world is sinful. Good things happen. Bad things happen. But what it really comes down to is us understanding our condition and what our God has done to save us, to help us, right? This is the type of thankfulness that understands what is common to man. You're able to see through the normal ups and downs of life, and you really focus on what brings true happiness, what really makes us happy. So tonight, we're gonna, what we're going to do is study a couple of verses from the New Testament book of Philippians. And in doing so, we're going to learn what this guy named Paul, if you ever heard of his name, he wrote most of the New Testament, we're going to see what he says about thankfulness. We're going to see how he defines it, how he experiences it, and what's most importantly, we're going to learn that he is going through some really bad stuff as he's teaching this, right? So it's really, really cool. Right? And the reason this is important, the reason we need to do this, I think you all agree with me, is humans, we frequently try to find happiness and uh, thankfulness in things that are temporary, right? things that are out of our control, things that don't bring lasting happiness. And those are the worst things to look at. So here are the three things that are common. Number one, things that are temporary. Our age, our job, our money, our waistline, sometimes our hairline. I mean, just a little bit for some of us. Things that are out of our control. Time, weather, natural disasters, bad diagnosis, even death, which we will all experience sometimes. And also things that won't bring lasting happiness, money, possessions, fame, whatever, right? And yet, if, you're, if we're honest with ourselves, what do most humans try to find happiness in? That kind of stuff. We really do. We do. It happens, right? So let's learn from Paul. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start at verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can use your phone or your iPad. Uh, but don't worry, everything, all the verses are going to be on the screen behind my head. So this is what Paul says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. And then look, there's an exclamation point there. Now, to get the full background of what's happening, right, we need to understand that Paul was in jail when he wrote this, right? He was locked up. He was incarcerated. He was a jailbird. There's no other way to describe it, right? He was not on some expensive yacht. He wasn't rubbing elbows with the rich and famous. He was not about to celebrate Thanksgiving. Nobody in that jail was cooking up a nice turkey. You couldn't smell the green beans or the stuffing, right? None of that. He was likely sitting in a dark, primitive jail cell chained to the wall. And yet, what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. He says, and in case you missed it, I'll say it again. Rejoice. He's got a big old exclamation point on there, right? Now, here's the million-dollar question. This is how my mind works. How does that happen? Who does that sort of thing? Who thinks like that, right? What could be going on in his melon that he's saying that, that he's feeling that, right? And those are good questions because the dude is sitting in jail, right? And when you read these things, when you read this, you should ask, how on earth? What's going on? Because if you read this and don't ask those questions, perhaps you don't understand the background, where he's at, or you weren't really paying attention when you read it, right? right? Because let's be honest, that is not normal what he's doing, right? right? It's not. In fact, anytime you're reading in the Bible and someone shouts out, praise the Lord, what is going on? That's a good question. What's happening that caused them to say that? Again, because what Paul is doing at this point is not something people normally do, right? So why is he doing it? How is he doing it? Well, for starters, Paul's joy, his sense of happiness, what makes him feel thankful is not based on what normal people find happiness in, right? He is completely unique. He found real joy, real happiness in something that is not of this world, right? Which means it's not based on earthly things that can change. His joy, his thankfulness was based, based on something way bigger. It was based on something that could not be taken from him, okay? You could change his situation, his wealth, his health, his freedom. It didn't matter, right? So what he had was real. It was genuine. It was solid. His joy, his thankfulness was in knowing. And I mean knowing. And I'm going to touch my heart because that's when you know something deep down, that's what this is. He knew he was saved by Jesus Christ. He knew it. Felt it in his bones, and he knew God had a plan. Right? Now, those are very two important things. We're going to discuss them so we understand what they mean for him and for us. Being saved by Jesus Christ means your sins are washed away. It means you are forgiven. It means you are loved. It means you have a purpose. You personally belong to God. God knows you. And you know you have an eternal place in heaven, right? That's huge. That's huge. The next thing this also means that Paul understood is that God is in control, right? Now, this needs explaining as well because as humans, we frequently get this part wrong. When God is in control, it means he knows what's happening. When it's good, he knows. When it feels bad, really bad, he knows. It may be a total surprise to you. It may not be fitting in your plan or what you think should be happening, but it's not a surprise to him, right? His plan is not your plan. His ways are not your ways. His vision for the world 
may not be your vision for the world. You are certainly part of that plan. He has a plan for you, but as always, his plan is bigger. It's always bigger. And here's something that we need to consider. To accomplish those plans, this means God will sometimes allow you to walk through difficult times. He does. I've seen it. I've personally experienced it. And he's going to do that normally for one of two reasons. If you know this, if you experience this, it's cool. You can shake your head. You can go, amen, whatever you want to do. It's okay. Now, (laughs) number one, he's going to do that because he needs to build you up. He has a plan for you. Wherever you're at, he needs more from you. Right? It's like going to the gym. You can go there and you can lift up pool noodles, but you are never going to get strong, are you? If you lift up weights, meaning you're in a workout, it's hard. It's not easy, but it's going to benefit you. The same is with your faith. He may need something. He's got a plan for you. He needs to build you up. And number two, this is like the big boy, big girl version of Christianity. He has a plan for you because in those dark places, in those dark times, there are going to be other people that need to know Jesus. And he's sending you there for a purpose. Okay? He sent, just like firemen run into a burning building to save people, he may need that from you. Right? He wants his followers to use the gospel as a beacon of light, hope in dark places. All right? So for us to begin to have the same thankfulness, the same joy as Paul, we need to understand and we need to know that we are saved. We need to understand that down in our bones. And then we need to understand that God is in control. Because when we get that, our whole perspective begins to change, right? Those two things are the foundation for true joy, true thankfulness that does not fade, that does not crumble. And this is going to come back later. It can't be taken from you. Amen, right? And Paul had that for real. In fact, he was so filled with joy, so thankful, he wrote this letter that we're reading to the Philippians. He wrote it so they wouldn't get scared, lose their faith, because he got locked up. So the dude is locked up, worrying about people on the outside and their faith. And he's saying, hang on, it's okay, it's okay. He wanted to make every effort to make sure they had hope and faith. He wanted them to experience joy and happiness and be thankful even though he was in prison, right? So let's read what he actually wrote, his actual words from Philippians 1. And this is what he said, right? Philippians 1, 12 to 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This means this is not crumbling. It's okay. God's got a plan, right? And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Meaning, I didn't get locked up because I was stealing stuff or I broke a law. I got locked up because of Jesus Christ. Everybody knows it. Everybody. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, meaning their faith has increased, and dare all more to do what? Proclaim the gospel without fear. That is not something people who are scared and have no hope do. That is something that people have hope and faith and know deep down God loves them and has a plan for them, right? And this is cool because Paul says right off, listen, what happened to me, I got locked up, made the gospel go farther, right? Notice his joy, his concern wasn't wrapped up with his personal freedom, which let's be honest, he had none, right? None. His freedom was irrelevant. It didn't matter. His joy and his thankfulness 
were completely attached to knowing he was saved and God had a plan. And you know what? I'm part of that plan. I'm part of that. Because of those two things, because he got arrested, it only meant God had a plan for him in jail. God, had, God needed someone to reach the other inmates and the guards. They needed the same joy and thankfulness as Paul. Now, if we're being honest, and we're in church, right? How many people, including Christians, would feel the exact same way as Paul if they got arrested? As, yeah, as you're being fingerprinted. And I don't know how this works. I'm, I saw this on TV. <laughs> when they put on the prison uniform, right? When they get their number, their picture taken, how many people would be going, God's got a plan. This is why this is happening. <laughs> High five. How, no, how many people would go, ah, I got to get out of here. I got to get, and how many people would do it? Totally freak out, all right? That would be normal. That's normal. But Paul is not like most people. God does not call us to be like normal people, does he? In any way. He calls us to trust him to have faith in him, and to know that he loves us and has a plan for us, right? Now let's jump back into Philippians 4, and let's see what Paul says next. And this is important again. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So just like all the other stuff we talked about, remember, this is all the more special when Paul, we understand that he was in jail, incarcerated when he wrote this. How many people, if you're going to go jail, your friends will go, hey man, Make sure your gentleness is evident to everyone. You're going to do so well if you just come across as being gentle. That's madness, right? Of course not. Paul is not like most people. The Greek word he used here for gentleness is epikia, and it means gentle, patient, and showing mercy and clemency. That's heavy-duty stuff, because that's what he wants us to show. That's what he's going to show in jail. Now, there's a bit of truth here. If you're experiencing fear, doubt, you're totally scared, you're worried about all this kind of stuff, it, if we're honest, it would be very difficult to be gentle and kind and patient and show mercy to other people, right? Why? Because you're worrying about yourself. You'd be free, that'd be totally understandable. You're in self-preservation mode. But, there's always a but, right? Big but. But, if we know that we are saved, if we know God loves us. We know he has a plan for us. We can be gentle. We can show patience and kindness even in jail to others. Because think about what that other people, other prisoners would see from you. If you're genuine and it's real, right? What would most people do? They'd be focusing on themselves. Woe is me. The sky's falling. And that's understandable. The real power here comes from knowing and trusting in God. Knowing you're saved and knowing he has a plan for you. Now Jesus was an excellent example of this. and He taught this and he lived it out. He really showed kindness and gentleness even when people were attacking him. I mean, this is one of those things that was just crazy and he did it. And there's two times that stick out for me that are apply here. The first one happened in John chapter 8, and you may know the story. There's a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and the Pharisees and the high priests, they bring her out in front of everybody, and they throw her down, and then they put Jesus on the spot. They try to trick him, right? They kind of use her as bait, and they say, listen, the law of Moses says we have to stone her. What do you say we need to do? 
This wasn't an honest question. They weren't trying to debate. They were really trying to, to trick him and, and uh, to uh, pull one over on him, right? And there was a crowd present because they, they wanted to really stick it to Jesus. Uh, but the interesting thing is, Jesus doesn't respond to them. He doesn't fall for it. The text tells us that he, he knelt down and he started to write something in the sand. He was right, maybe playing tic-tac-toe. We don't know. He was doodling. Some people think, and this might be right, that he was writing the sins of the Pharisees and the high priests. Right? We don't know. It could have been. And he doesn't respond to them. And so they ask him again, tell us, what do we do with her? What does the law say? And then Jesus responds with this famous response. Whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. And then, Without waiting for a response, without even caring, he just goes right back to this. He just keeps going. And he stays down there. He doesn't give them the time of day. He doesn't have to answer to them, does he? He just keeps going. And the story goes, well, he's down there with the woman, right? He's down there. And the text tells us that one by one, the priests and the Pharisees, they start dropping their stones and they walk off. And there was a crowd. We don't know how many people. Was it 20 or 100? But eventually, everybody leaves. And that would have taken some time. And imagine that lady that's sitting down there. The poor lady is about to get stoned. That would have been an uncomfortably long time. Because you don't know if someone behind you is about to chuck a stone at you. You don't know. And Jesus stays down there with her the whole time. Until it's just them two. Nobody else. And he's still down there. And then he asks. This is a really weird question. When you're, this is one of the things. If you would have been there and watched the whole thing, this would have been weird. He asks her, has no one condemned you? Now think about that. It's obvious nobody did. Why? Because no one's chucking stones at her. So why ask her? Why ask this obviously guilty woman? She, she was guilty. Why do that? Why? I'll tell you why. He came to save her. He came to meet her where she was. Lost, afraid, had nobody. Face to face. That's the kind of Messiah we have. That's what Jesus is about. And what does the woman say? She says, no, nobody's condemned me. He says, I don't either. Now go and live a better life. Leave your sin behind. Now the other story I want to share Happened with Jesus actually at the Last Supper. And the story goes that Jesus' disciples are like Applebee's or something having the Last Supper. I don't know. Doesn't tell us. Uh, and as they finish, he turns to Simon Peter, and this is what he says. Luke 22, 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother's. Now, this is one of those verses that when you first read, you're like, oh, that's interesting. No, this is huge. This is huge. Notice Jesus said Simon Peter's name twice. He wants that dude's attention. Twice. When I was growing up, my parents said my name twice. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted his attention. He lays it out there that Satan has asked personally for each of the disciples by name to sift them which means to tempt them and to throw a truck at them. That doesn't raise the stakes a little bit. Read it again. This is huge. But that's not all. Jesus says, But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. 
And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Now, there's a huge amount of, again, Satan asked my name to sift the disciples. And here's what's crazy. This is how my mind works. Jesus doesn't get involved personally. He could have done that karate move, whatever, and taken care of Satan right there. What does he do? He prays for the disciples and their faith that it's not going to fail in what's coming. So he's not going to stop it. He's not going to stop the hardship that's bearing down on them. He prays that their faith won't fail. And then to make a point of how bad it's going to get, he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You know what that means? Your faith is going to fail. You are going to crash and burn hard. All of you are. Every one of you. No one will make it out of of that one. And he says, Peter, I need you to be the first person to pull it back together. Gather your faith and then immediately go help your brothers. Be there for them. I've called you. I have a plan for you. This is going to scare you. This is not going to match with your plan. I know it's coming. I know you can do this. I need you for this because there's so much more I need down the road from you. Help your brothers. Now, if you remember from the beginning of this teaching, we talk about Paul, and he was in jail, and he was writing this letter, not worrying about what's happening to himself. He wanted the other people to know he's okay. This is part of God's plan. God has a plan. He was solidly being persecuted, but his heart was for the people on the outside. Now we see Jesus talking about, listen, you're, you're going to have bumps in the road. They're going to be huge. You're going to lose your faith, but when it comes back, I need you to immediately look to other people. And that's a tall order, especially if we have to do it on our own, right? But here's the key. If the disciples are truly saved, if they believe, if we believe, if we know God is in control, we know they can do this. We know they can get through this. We know that they will have joy and thankfulness. We know they're going to hold on to their faith. They have trust that God has a plan for their lives. And in this moment, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus hasn't even brought up joy and thankfulness yet. Right? For the moment, it's about getting their faith back. But very soon, he's going to give them all the information, everything they need to know to truly have joy and thankfulness. And right before he goes back to heaven, this is what he says to the disciples, and this is beautiful. John 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things. This means all the stuff I've taught you so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, if you look closely at Jesus' words, it's actually not so much about the ups and downs, right? It's going to happen. It's about what he brings. And no, this is important, so pay attention. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of what he brings to every person that follows him, we can have peace, real peace, tangible peace, peace and joy and happiness no matter what's happening. Now, there's also one more piece of information here that we need to understand. Jesus uses the word may. He says, you may have peace. That means he's not going to force it on you. You have to take it yourself. It's absolutely free. It's always there. But you have to take it. You must take hold of it. And to do that, you have to let go of your worries, your fears, your doubts, and you have to begin to trust him. Right? 
If we hang on to our worries and our concerns, it means we're not all the way there yet. And don't take this the wrong way. If any of you are struggling with that, or we all do at times, we all do that, right? We're human. We have good days. We have bad days. We all have things that we could work on in regards to our faith, right, and growing closer to God. And these words from Jesus are meant for all of us to pull us closer to him, right, which means we all have work to do, right? And don't worry, we grow together. But you got to remember, when Jesus said these words to the disciples, they had already seen him walk on water. They saw him feed thousands of people, cure blind people, leprosy, all that stuff, and yet he needed to say that to them. They experienced stuff we will never see, and they still needed that. Jesus is saying, trust me, I have overcome the world. He wants us to have joy and thankfulness no matter the situation, right? So the disciples needed to grow, and we need to grow. And we know over time, they totally did. Their faith exploded. They did everything they were supposed to. You know, there's a great story. It's in Acts chapter 5 that happens a little later. And this is what it says. Acts 5, 40 to 41. They called the apostles, referring to the disciples, they called them in and had them flogged, which is not a pool noodle. They were whipped. And this is like old school whipping, right? Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Look what the, the apostles, the disciples did. They left the Sanhedrin. What's the word? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace for the name. And then what did they do? Day after day, they went and hid? No, day after day, in the temple courts, which means out in front of everybody, in front of the people who just whipped them, it says they never stopped going from house to house, teaching, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So we're seeing here the disciples, they really found true joy, happiness, not in their daily situations, the ups and downs, but rather knowing, let me touch your heart here, knowing that they were saved. They knew it. They knew God had a plan. And because of that, no one could take that joy from them. No one. They were then able to go spread the good news. Right? And because of that, each one of us are here today because they stayed strong. We are. Each one of us knows about Jesus Christ because the disciples, they re remain strong and they had true joy and happiness. They didn't find it in money, fame, or possessions, none of that. Rather, knowing they were saved and God was in control. Let's jump back now into Philippians 4. Look at verses 6 and 7, and let's see how Paul finishes this out. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Now, if you pay close attention to his words, you'll notice Paul is not suggesting that we shouldn't be anxious, right? He's giving us a command, very direct command, telling us directly what? Do not be anxious. Do not. Because, and this is the key, if we allow anxiety, fear, doubt, whatever, a lot of those things to creep in, they force out our joy and thankfulness. Joy and fear cannot exist at the same time in the same person. It's impossible, right? Thankfulness, true thankfulness, cannot exist with anxiety and doubt at the same time. And the devil knows this. If he wants to take away your joy, you know what he's going to do? Encourage you to feel scared and alone. Make you think God doesn't have a plan. 
If he wants to uh, destroy your thankfulness, he's going to inject doubt, cause you to worry. Because remember, Satan is in the business of separating you from the love of God, doubting that you're saved, doubting that God has a plan, and he is very, very good at that. But he can't take God away from you. He can't touch your salvation. He has no control over Jesus Christ. But he sure can encourage you to worry, doubt, and fear, which causes you to let go of your joy and your thankfulness. Right? But here, God has given us all we need to protect ourselves. Paul's own words, he says, say no to anxiety and fear, and in every situation, every situation, not just the good days where things are rocking and going well, every situation, pray to God. Stay connected with him. Trust him. And you can have his peace, real peace. The kind of peace that's far greater than we can wrap our heads around. It's all-encompassing. And then he says it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So no matter the situation, no matter what we're going through, just like with Paul and the disciples, you really can have joy. You can really be thankful because God loves you. And I mean loves you. And you are saved through Jesus Christ. And here's the great part. No one, not even the devil, can take that from you. He can't. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we want to say tonight that we thank you for all that you've done for us. There are so many ways that you have blessed each one of us. There's so many times that you've walked by our side, you've guided our steps through difficult times. And tonight, as much as any night, we offer our sincere thanks to you and to your son Jesus. Please hold us close to you. Remind our hearts that if we ever start to falter, that you are there with us, you love us, and you have a plan for us. Father, when we are strong, we will praise you. When we are weak, we will offer our thanks to you. We know in our hearts that no matter the situation, you are working to build us up and provide all our needs. So once again, on this special holiday, we say thank you from the bottom of your hearts. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.